Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Amy Yip, who is a somatic life transformation and mental fitness coach, keynote speaker, self-confidence trainer, and author of Unfinished Business, Breaking Down the Great Wall Between Adult Child and Immigrant Parents. She works with women of color leaders to strengthen their mental fitness, heal intergenerational wounds find their voice and the courage to speak up and have agency to let go of all the shoulds so they can be the authors of their own life stories. We have so much to talk about today, so let's jump right into this and welcome, Amy. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Now, this is a question I love to ask, and before we start exploring your professional journey, Can you describe your life in one word to this point? Serendipitous. Serendipitous. I like that word. Tell us more about why that word is important to you. Because I feel like things have happened for a reason throughout my life. And it feels like it was serendipity at the time. And now looking back, I see how everything had its reason and its purpose, whether it was at the time seemingly good or at the time seemingly bad. Now all of it, you know, reflecting back, I see all the interconnections. And oftentimes I I say this to a lot of people, but at the time things might seem like it's bad, but oftentimes a good thing comes and is made possible because of that bad thing. And so when I look at my life, you know, what, what I deemed to be bad in the past I now see what came from it. I like that insight and that point of reflection that you probably have done multiple times over that journey. Mm -hmm. It's important that you said what you did, because I think a lot of times either we get stuck where we're at or we can do that reflection and look at it from a different perspective. And the perspective that you look really from it is from a place of inspiration, a place of hope, a place of movement, a place of growth. How is it that maybe you can do that, whereas maybe somebody else can't? Tell me a little bit more, and maybe this will lead us into that journey, because I think along that path, there's got to be some glimmer of hope. There's got to be something for you to say, I'm going to move forward. Here's my inspiration. This was wisdom to grow from. So let's talk about your personal journey where you grew up, some of your conditioned beliefs, and how you begin to separate from some of those beliefs to stand in alignment with your own body, mind, and spirit along your journey? I love that question. There's so much to it. (laughs) I know. I'll I'll, I'll start with a bit of context about my upbringing. Please. That you have a sense of, of the conditioning and the shaping that I had growing up. So My parents came to the U.S. $1,700 in their pockets to establish their roots. And I have two older sisters. At the time when my parents came to the U.S., my sisters were two and seven. 
And my parents had to leave them behind in order to come here to try to make it. So they left my sisters back in Hong Kong with my grandparents to take care of while they came here, not knowing when they would see them again. And they came here for two big reasons. One is my sister, who was the two-year-old at the time, was born with a hole in her heart. And medical care in Hong Kong, it just wasn't as good as the U.S. And so my parents came here, one, to try to help her get better medical care to survive. The second reason is because of opportunity. Like in Hong Kong, there were only two universities. The chance of you getting in was minimal. And if you got in, my parents could barely afford tuition because they didn't have things like student loans and things in Hong Kong, right? Mm -hmm. So they came here. And then a year or two into being here, establishing their roots, working hard, my mom gets pregnant accidentally. Mm. And she said, oh, I'm pregnant. What do we do? And my dad, being a very traditional Chinese father, says, you know what? We've got two daughters. This one has to be the boy, right? We're going to let's do this. And then out I come. And so growing up, I had a lot of shaping around one. You were supposed to be the boy and this desire to be that boy for my father. And so growing up, I was always anti being too girly, right? Mm. Like I don't cry. I don't do this. I play sports because that's what boys do. I don't play with dolls and I'm a tough girl. And so into adulthood, I had this armor on. You didn't see me cry. You didn't see me being vulnerable. I didn't show you who I really was. I got shit done. Mm. That, that was, I was a robot. Yeah. And then the other piece of me was that I saw my parents constantly working hard. They worked six days a week, 16 hour days, two jobs each, never took a break on their days off. They were chauffeuring us to and from Chinese school, doctor's appointments, getting the car fixed, you know, all the things. So it really wasn't a day off. And they verbally taught us, you've got to work hard, working hard equals success and, and financial status, which equates to safety and security. And then I saw them doing that same thing day in and day out. And so I had this, I call it the achievement monster throughout my childhood into adulthood where I did not know how to take a break. I actually got hospitalized three times. And the first time was in my mid twenties because of overwork and mm. burnout, you know, and it took three times of getting hospitalized for me to realize maybe this is <laughs> how we're supposed to be living life. So those two elements very much shaped how I showed up as an individual in my personal life and in my career. You know, I was the tough person getting stuff done. And, and it served me well up until a certain point when people were like, well, where's the human side of you, especially when I became a people leader and mm -hmm. I can't just be this machine getting things done anymore. I have to care about people and show them that human side. And I will say that it was this pivotal point in my life that that shifted a lot of this stuff. And that pivotal point is when I started my career at Google, I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do like long-term. Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, well, okay, this is great for now, but what do I want to do when I grow up? And I said, five years from now, max, that's the maximum amount of time that I'm going to stay in my job at Google. And then afterwards, I want to do an eat, pray, love thing, travel the world, figure out my life, maybe find a husband because I didn't have a, a partner at the time. 
And what I didn't realize is as a woman in your mid thirties, you have to make a lot of pivotal decisions. I didn't think about it at the time when I decided five years, but during my time at Google, I hit my mid thirties and a lot of people started telling me these shoulds, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one of the biggest shoulds was you should start having babies. Like, what are you thinking doing an eat, pray, love thing in your mid late thirties? You're not going to be able to have a family. You're, someone even said your eggs are rotting. And um, I know uh, I, uh, I, uh, it was pretty painful to hear. Right. That. Like, yeah. Uh, okay. And so during that time, I, I got a, a partner who who is my husband today. And we decided we both want to go do this travel thing, volunteer, see the world. So we decided to have our embryos frozen. Great. We thought great backup plan. Yeah. A year later. I get an email on a Sunday and they basically said the tank that your embryos were in lost nitrogen power or nitrogen, you know, uh, whatever that is, the temperature. And we don't know the viability of your embryos anymore. And that was my rock bottom point. Okay. This was supposed to be my backup plan. And now I don't know if it's a backup plan anymore. Like, what do I do? We tried IVF again, only one embryo this time. That was the point in my life when I was like, okay, I've got to really figure it out. I don't really have time. My backup plan has now shattered. I told you I had this tough armor. Yeah. So I felt like I couldn't really tell people what was really going on. And I was also raised to be, you save face, you don't air your dirty laundry. So instead of reaching out to anybody else for help, I read books and I spent eight months reading books and books are great but you don't really get these questions answered of what do I do next in my life from reading books? And I realized that after eight months, after that, a good friend told me about ayahuasca. Have you ever heard of about ayahuasca? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, for the listeners who don't know, it is a medicinal plant and it is supposed to have healing properties. It's from mother earth. And my friend had, had read about it and said, Amy, there's this thing called ayahuasca. It's supposed to give you clarity. And I'm like, clarity. That's what I need. (laughs) Clarity. Yes. So I went down to Peru for a five day ayahuasca ceremony. And I will tell you that it gave me a lot of clarity on a lot of things. Like I learned the power of vulnerability. If it was me 10 years ago, you would not be hearing any of this right now. But I, mother ayahuasca taught me about the power of vulnerability that it's harder to ask for help than to keep up that armor and try to be this tough person. It taught me a lot, but I still didn't get the answer of, do I have babies or do I go travel the world? When I returned back to the US, a coworker told me about coaching and I ended up getting a coach. I was skeptical because I'm like, how could somebody else help me figure out what I really want when they don't know me? But my coach was so amazing, helped me to peel back all my layers. And I realized two things. One is I will regret it if I don't pursue my dreams. And even if I stay, I'm not in control if I have babies or not, right? Look at what happened. And so I decided I'm going to quit my job at Google at the five-year point and go travel the world with my husband. And the second thing I decided was that I want to be a coach and I want to help people because it sucked feeling stuck. And so I went back up my coaching certification and this is where the serendipity, you know, one of the serendipitous moments, I looked up coaching schools, fell in love with this one school and they had one program that finished at my five-year point at Google. So I I applied, got in 
finished. And in January of 2020, my husband and I decided to sell all our things. We left our corporate jobs and took a one-way flight to Ghana to volunteer at a breast cancer nonprofit. And our plan was we were going to volunteer a few months and then travel the world. That thing called COVID came along. And this is another serendipitous moment of it came along. And most people, you know, you could see it as a good thing or a bad thing. We ended up stuck in Ghana for seven months because borders closed. Mm -hmm. That was the greatest gift because that was when I really discovered my voice. I had so much free time being stuck there. I started writing. I started sharing things on social media and I really leaned into my vulnerability. And that's actually what built my business because people loved what I had to share. And that, that actually fed into the eventual writing of my book. That is amazing. What a journey so far. And now we have an opportunity to get into the book. Mm -hmm. But before we do, I want to ask a couple of questions because you've had a lot of life experiences. You had a lot of conditioning. You talk about also not really showing that emotional side and really having that armor up. How did that naturally break down for you? Or was that a lot of work for you to break that down? Because as you break that down and learn more about yourself and how to bring about that more emotive side and really understand it, name it, accept it, because we all have emotions, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just like what we're told. And I understand that. I absolutely understand that. I was raised by a dad with the same kind of conditioning. You go out there, you play sports, you get knocked down, you get yourself back up and you keep going and you keep going and work, 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 work. How did you, with parents who, those are their values and you understand why, those are their values. That's where they were, how they were raised. That's also some of the things that got them to a point where they had safety and security. How did you, when you were changing and going through these changes and also hearing those same messages, how did you take that in and and how were you able to set boundaries? It took time. And I I tell this to everybody that anything that could be learned can be unlearned, but it is about the patience and the time and the practice. And I am a somatic coach. I learned this later. So I I got a second certification later in my life and on somatics, Mm -hmm. because what I realized is that knowing in your head, you want to change is not enough to actually change. You know, a lot of us know we want to change. We know what we need to do to change, but yet we're not able to. And it was actually getting stuck in Ghana that I discovered the body and the wisdom of the body and how much intelligence is there that we don't listen to. And so I I got introduced to this world of somatics and the body because I had so much time when I was in Ghana, I started taking all these classes on trauma and, and the wisdom of the body and somatics and embodiment. And I learned so much about how my emotions show up in my body. And it was also a great time for testing it because my husband and I were stuck in this tiny little room together. So we got to test our big emotions (laughs) during that time. You were in a space where you were able to really take a journey to explore those emotions, and how it was influencing your body, how it was influencing your mind. Somatics is the body. A lot of times when we go, 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 a lot of times we're ignoring what's really happening. Mm -hmm. We're going on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And guess what? 
at some point, your body told you three times, stop, Mm -hmm. stop. I'm going to put you actually in the hospital to get you to stop. And you did. You went into the hospital because you were working all the time. You were exhausted. There was so much in your body. And yet you still weren't listening. Not at the first time, not the second time, the third time. And finally, finally, something spoke to you. Yeah. So as it spoke to you, again, I'm bringing this back in, those beliefs, values that we've been raised by from parents to caregivers to clergy, they're very strong. And we are very impressionable when those values are imposed upon us. So how did you, in Ghana, take that step back? And I like what you said earlier about you read a lot of books. I always say this, books are great, but it's the application. Are you taking the steps to change the habits to make a difference in your life? Because we can read all the books we want. The books aren't doing the work. (laughs) We are. You are, right? And so you started doing the work. You started breaking down those walls, breaking down that armor, And really learning more about yourself and tapping into what your body is telling you. Now, where's that led? A hundred percent. And I want to build on that and say, you know, my somatic teacher has said 300 times of intentional practice to build muscle memory, 3000 times to turn it into an embodiment. It took me years of practicing a new way. And I will say that my husband was a huge part of that because in the evenings when the the little voice in my head whispered just one more email, he would unplug the modem and run around and turn off all the lights and say, it's time for bed. You know? Wow. Yeah. He would do little things like that. He would cheer for me when I would rest. You know, I would tell him, I'm not feeling really well. And in the past, I would feel guilty if I went and rested because I've got this huge long to-do list. Even though I was sick, I'm like, I can't, I can't take a nap right now. It's the middle of the workday. I would go take a nap. I would tell him I'm not feeling well. I'm going to go for a nap. He's like, good. And then I would go take a nap. And then afterwards I would literally high five myself for letting myself take a nap and rest. And then he would come and give me a hug and say, I'm proud of you for doing that. And so it's almost like reinforcing the new behavior that I want. It's it's kind of like when we were children, we were rewarded for working hard, getting the A's, doing well and succeeding. And so now it was, we're rewarding you, Amy, for giving yourself some rest and doing the opposite, the things that you really need. I love that you are actually taking the opportunity to change the behavior. And you had a partner and still do that was super supportive and was reinforcing those new behaviors, which we're going to be turning into habits later on. That is fantastic to hear. So let's do a little switcheroo here and let's talk about your book, Unfinished Business, Breaking Down the Great Wall Between Adult Child and Immigrant Parents. Let's talk about that. I was inspired to write this book. It was uh, around three, three and a half years ago when I was stuck in Ghana and I was coaching a lot of clients. And one of my clients, she's Chinese American, senior vice president of one of the largest banks. And she was around mid fifties at the time. And she came to me because she wanted to figure out what do I want to do next in my life? Through our coaching, she realized I want to do something creative and I want to run my own business. And then as we continued, she said to me, but I have to wait till my father passes away. 
And her father at the time was 85. I asked her, what makes you believe that? And she responded to me and said, well, when I became senior VP, he said, great. And the next thing you're going to be is president. And when I'm around my father, I go into little girl mode where I'm so afraid of his disappointment, of his criticisms, of his judgments. And he's just not going to understand why I want to go into creative and why I want to start my own business when I've got this prestigious title at this big company. As we continued our coaching, we explored, could she have conversations with her father? And she said, nope, I'd rather just wait. And I started seeing this pattern among a lot of my clients where they would go into little boy, little girl mode, afraid of their parents' disapproval, and yet not willing to have conversations with them. So I sat back and, and I thought, well, what stories do I have? What are the things that I'm withholding from my parents? I'll be honest, when I first sat down, I thought, oh, surely there's nothing. I've done all this work. I've done ayahuasca. I've done all this coaching, you know, like surely there's nothing. But when I sat down, there was still a whole lot of stories that I had. Everything from my success will never be good enough for my parents, or I married a white guy instead of a good Chinese boy. So they're disappointed in me. I'll never be able to repay my parents for their sacrifices. It's better to be a boy than a girl because, Mm -hmm. you know, I was the accident child. And so just all these stories that I still had, and that's actually the framework of the book. I call them myths, which are all these stories that I had. And so This was three years ago, I decided this was in the midst of COVID and my parents' health wasn't great. So I was afraid they would catch COVID, something would happen. And I was stuck in Ghana, didn't know when I would get to see them again. And there was the rise in AAPI hate crimes towards Mm -hmm. elderly. And my parents looked just like those people that were getting attacked. So I had this fear of, I might not get to see them again. So I, I called my dad up, well, I WhatsApp, WhatsApped him and I said, hey, I'd love to just hear about your life and your stories. And my dad responded with, oh, but I was just a restaurant worker. I've got nothing interesting to share. You should probably talk to your uncle. He was a lawyer. He's got, I'm sure he's got fascinating things to tell you. And and that just goes to show how they think about what is worthy and what is not, right? Mm-hmm. And I eventually persuaded my dad that his life story was worthy of being told and worthy of being heard. And so over the last three years, I spent 40 plus hours in conversation with both of my parents around their their life and their life experiences. And that's what's in the book. I will mention that people, if they read the book, it seems like the conversations were easy peasy. They were not. (laughs) The first 20, 25 hours of the 40 hours of conversation, full of big emotions. I went into little girl mode. I was angry, upset, resentful, you know, a lot of those big emotions. And I wanted to give up so many times. And it was, again, my husband that continued to encourage me to not give up. Now on the other side of it, I know what's possible if you keep going at it and not give up. So the book is framed in, there are eight myths, which are the stories that I had. I tell my side of the story. I share my parents' stories based on the conversations I had with them. And then at the end of each chapter, there's something called a date with your parents. So the reader can go on a date with their parents. There are self-reflective prompts, questions to ask your own parents. Every I, I have them categorized as lighter questions and then the deeper questions. I love this whole concept and how it also is a guide to help support people ha- to have those conversations. 
I would say that this book would probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this book would probably be good for those who want to talk to their parents, caregivers, maybe it's grandparents that raised them, because I know that a portion of my life was raised by my grandparents early on. And just because of their generational factors, they didn't talk about those kinds of things or things that might have been emotional or impactful or traumatizing. Mm -hmm. It just didn't happen. It was get back to it and do the work. Yeah. I love that your book actually is that guide for those to get to where those messages came from. Because if we don't, those messages could be set up in our DNA (laughs) and follow and become cyclical to the next generation, the next generation, and create that generational trauma of sorts. This is such a great book and guide to help others and support them through their journey as well. I love your point that they're not accustomed to sharing. And I tell people, if your parents or your your caretakers or anyone, if they're not accustomed to sharing, warm them up. Warm them up with easy questions like, what was your favorite color when you were young or how did you like to play or, you know, what was your favorite thing that your, your parents made for you to eat when you were young, start with those easy questions. And then once they get used to just your, your interrogation or your, your interviewing them, asking them questions, they'll, they'll start opening up slowly, but it is about getting them used to that, that concept that you're asking them questions. The other thing that I encourage people is because I've had this question of, well, what if my parents won't be open to something like that, then don't even ask them for permission. So it could look like, you know, my parents always call me and ask me what I've eaten for dinner. So after they've done that, I could say, oh, I had red bean soup. And I remember when I was a kid, that used to be my favorite that you made. What was your favorite thing to eat when you were my age at the time? You know, and just kind of (laughs) glide questions in so you don't even ask them permission to interview them. And the other piece is after publishing this book, what I realized is there's this universal truth where there's tension between adult children and their parents, regardless of race, ethnicity, and all of that, right? And so the book is relevant. It doesn't matter if your parents are are immigrants or not, or what your background is, like this is relevant for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. As you were interviewing your parents, there were those, as you said, the big emotions, right? Those things that were triggering you. How did you eventually come to terms with your feelings and get beyond being triggered so you could actually delve deeper into what you wanted to know, what you wanted to glean from your parents so that you could actually understand them and maybe have a little bit more, I don't know, insight, empathy for them? Love that question. So when I started this, I was not pregnant, didn't have a kid. And I got pregnant naturally overseas at at age 40, right? So I, I, ended up getting pregnant and coming back to the US, having to establish ourselves, find a home, do all that stuff. So that kind of closes the earlier story about, you know, the the fact that not having a baby scared me from pursuing my dreams. And then my baby brought me home to the US. And so I paused when I got pregnant and I had to come back, establish my roots and, and buy furniture, do all that stuff, get ready for a baby. I stopped having these, these conversations with my parents for a period of a few months. 
after my kiddo was born, I went back to some of those recordings. I was so shocked listening to it. My words were fine. They, they were not mean or anything, but my tone had this air of defensiveness mm-hmm. of you don't know anything of oh, like, what is wrong with you? And I honestly didn't realize I was talking to them in that way. Mm-hmm. I thought I was talking to them very kindly and it was their issue. They're the ones that are saying whatever, doing whatever that is being mean or critical or whatnot. And when I listened to that, I thought about my little kiddo growing up and one day talking to me in that tone. And I was like, that would hurt so much if I had invested all this time, energy, love, unconditional love for this little being, and they grow up and talk to me in that way. And so I made a decision that I am going to go into these conversations with my parents and talk to them the way that I hope my child will talk to me one day, because I know that I'm also a human being. I know I'm going to mess up. He's going to grow up and get pissed at stuff that I've said, said and done. And I hope he'll forgive me for it and be still be kind to me. And so I started going into these conversations and because I, I was somatically trained at this point, I became aware of how triggers showed up in my body. Mm-hmm. You know, my heart would tighten, my chest would tighten, I would, my breath would become shallow. And I would either walk out, just say, you know, I need to step away for a minute, go to the bathroom, take some deep breaths, you know, do what I needed to do, or just call a timeout. And if it was such a big thing, then I would take some, a few days off before returning back to them and just take the space that I needed. But over time, because I constantly kept my child's image in my mind of how I wanted him to talk to me one day. It was as if it became easier and easier. It's kind of like the practice that I mentioned over time with the practice, things that my parents said would just, it would just be instantaneous, like, and then I would be able to breathe and let it go and then continue on in those conversations. And that completely shifted things because my parents started opening up more. They started sharing more and, and they became more curious about me. They would ask about how I felt about things and what I was thinking. Whereas, you know, the first 20, 25 hours when I got defensive and, you know, this attitude, they had no interest in listening to me. It's about creating that open dialogue, but first about the safe space, right? And sometimes the onus is upon us to create that safe space because they don't know how to do this. They haven't been trained like you to do this. Creating that safe space will really set the framework for that open dialogue. It's awesome that you were able to go back and listen to some of those recordings to be able to gain that insight and actually tune into that and say, wow, okay, you know what? I get why maybe they're not open. <laughs> you know? and, and I also understand your triggers. It's a learning process. It really is. And having that time to be able to step away, to gain some opportunity to do that self-reflection, it sounded like it was so important. If somebody was to pick up this book today, what is one key element of your book that you would like the reader to grasp or walk away with? Their parents are human beings. All of our parents are human beings. At the end of the day, they have hopes, dreams, fears, just like you and I, they want to be loved and accepted, just like you and I, 
and they did the best that they could with what they had. No, nobody tries to be imperfect, but we all are imperfect. And so how can we give grace to both ourselves and our parents? Absolutely. As we come to the close of this interview, and we've covered so much ground here, it's been so interesting and so stimulating. My last question is, if you were to leave the listeners with one tip to create a journey they love, what would those words be? Your mindset, not your circumstance, makes all the difference in your happiness and success. I love that. Thank you, Amy, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. It's been my pleasure. So thank you for being here with me. You can follow Amy Yip on Facebook at Amy C. Yip and Amy Yip Coaching on LinkedIn at Amy C. Yip and Amy Yip Coaching and Instagram at Amy Yip Coaching. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women Podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great! Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love & Money Collective, a core women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.